Well, we're over in Acts chapter 21. Acts, the 21st chapter. We're not going to get all the way through the chapter here, this one. We're going to get part of the way through it. As Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. So in verse 1, Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we ran to Cos. This is after he left the, uh, the area near Ephesus. He didn't want to actually go to Ephesus. But he left there near there. And, of course, some uh, things happened to let him know that Chains and imprisonment await him. The following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria. You can tell Luke is not a sailor, because that's not the term that they would have used. He's a doctor. So they sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So they head over here to Tyre. Remember, there was an Old Testament prophecy about that city of uh, complete and total destruction, for which it did come into, but obviously it was rebuilt. And finding disciples, we stayed there. The word there, finding disciples, actually means that they searched for them. They didn't just uh, happen to walk in there and all these disciples came up. They actually looked for disciples of, of uh, Jesus. And when they found some, they all got together and uh, were having some meetings. Maybe Paul was doing some teaching, whatever it might be. As they were going through the course of that, they stayed there seven days. And it says they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. So we don't really have too much of the ministry that he did to them or other things that happened in the meeting. All that we do have is that after he was there for a while, they picked up in the realm of the Spirit that trouble was awaiting. They probably didn't know Paul before this or didn't know much about it, and Paul didn't necessarily know them, but they picked up on this, and so it says that through the Spirit, they told him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, this is the terminology that a lot of people use, that they felt, how many people have heard this? Well, we just felt in our spirit that we should do this. We we say this quite often, and uh, most times, I don't think that most Christians know what they're talking about, because you hear what some of the things they say. (laughs) <laughs> in the spirit, I feel like I should do this. And you think, dear Lord, for the word, you shouldn't. And the spirit of God will never lead us contrary to the word of God. But for many Christians, that's what they do. As we we're talking about on Sunday, many Christians, when their flesh gets tweaked, they tend to do stuff. That they call it the spirit. Most Christians have no idea how to tell the difference between their spirit and their flesh. Between their soul and and their spirit, either one. And now it's, uh, it's harder to tell the difference between your soul and your spirit than it is between your flesh and your spirit. But Christians ought to be able to tell the difference between all those things. And we have, as, as Brother Hagin often said, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Man is a trinity, just like God. Created in the image of God, God is a trinity, we are a trinity. We are a spirit being. We have a soul and we live in a physical body. So those are the three parts that they come to us. Your flesh is one part of you. And surely we should be able to tell the difference between our flesh and our spirit. But there are still many Christians who something will come up in their flesh and they'll go after it. How many times have you heard? I mean, nobody around here, but, you know, <laughs> other places you probably have heard uh, folks do that. Some guy who was married to some woman. And he felt in his spirit that he should pursue another woman. Right? <laughs> now, that was, that was not his spirit. That was his flesh talking. He's probably got some problems with the woman that he's got. And he decided this other woman looked more appealing. <laughs> and they always, always do until you get close. <laughs> and then, you know, the problems come out. The same problems you had before as uh, one person I listened to. And once you get divorced from one woman or one man... That, and you marry on to a, another one, well, now you've got all the problems from the first one and then all the problems from the second one. So you're in worse shape than you were before. But, the, you know, they keep, you try and tell them that. No, that's not, that's not God. God wouldn't do that. No, 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 I know it. I know it. God wouldn't have me feel this way if, if uh, you know, and stuff like that. And so there are those Christians who cannot tell the difference between their flesh being tweaked and their spirit being led. And so many times they will do that. And you'll see this even in services. 
you'll see church services go on in which people will stand up and say things or do things, and it is not anything to do with God. It's very much their flesh. Now, of course, it can also be uh, a wrong spirit that motivates them, but also it can be your flesh. Understand the flesh messes up the devil. The devil can't control your flesh at all. And there are people who have messed up the plans the devil had simply because they fleshed out. <laughs> and they messed up his plans. And, they, uh, and he would have done something more destructive or something worse, but they got in there and, and messed it all up. Well, we need to be able to do that, tell the difference. Here it says, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, what is Paul feeling? To go to Jerusalem. And these people he just met are saying, we're feeling that through the Spirit, you should not go to Jerusalem. Now, we aren't told anything about the spiritual level of these people. Nothing to that. So we have to assume that it's not important. But what we do know is it says they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Now, many times we pick up things in the Spirit, but we don't know what to do with them. And you have to be careful about that. Just because you pick up something in the spirit, you then need to go to God and find out what to do with that thing. Just because you heard something about someone, about a situation, doesn't mean you need to go say anything about it. You need to get back with God and say, all right, God, I understand this. Now, what do you want me to do with it? Because what you do with it is just as important as you hearing it. And you need to find that out. So uh, these folks, they heard something in the spirit. And they, they spoke it. Now, there could be a number of things that are going on here. First off, it could have been a word of wisdom. It could have been a word of knowledge. It could have been, uh, this would seem more to be a word of wisdom. They're telling them something that's in the future. Um, if that was involved, that would have been a gift of the Spirit. And that certainly would have been of the Spirit. They may just have been picking up the temperature of the, that was in the Spirit realm. Sometimes you just pick up, there's a temperature. There's a, there's a, I can tell that something's not quite right here. I can tell that something isn't quite, I can tell danger's ahead. I can tell, you can just pick up the temperature of what's there. But you don't know necessarily what that means. And, and sometimes our own mind or our own flesh jumps to a conclusion. And because we based it on what we picked up in the Spirit, many Christians feel that that conclusion is what God is saying. And you get yourself into some big trouble. A mature Christian not only seeks after what the Lord is saying, but then also seeks after what to do with it. It's real important that you find that out. Just because you hear something in the realm of the Spirit doesn't mean you heard what to do yet. And you need to find that out. Uh, sometimes people go out there and they, uh, you'll, you'll see this, you'll see ministers, uh, they'll go out and they'll pick up something in the spirit and then they'll just start speaking things. They'll go into a meeting and they can pick up a spiritual temperature and they've learned how to tap into that and they, they use it to either build up offerings or followers or to put the stamp of approval on their ministry. And uh, that's, not, that's, that's not right. You've got to be careful about that. You can tell how many times you've been around people and you can just tell in the realm of the spirit, this person's spirit is off. They're depressed. They're down. They're angry. There's forgiveness issues. You can just tell that's going on. Well, some people will take that and they'll just, uh, I can tell by the spirit that you have, that there's something going on in the area of forgiveness with you, isn't it? And all of a sudden that person's emotions start coming out and they start crying. Yes, yes, yes. That's and, and, and now they're primed because whatever that person says, they're ready to take it. And that's bad. That is bad news. You do not do that. And if you mess with, this, with the Spirit like that much, the, the time is going to come. Judgment will come. But Christians ought to be smart enough to know not to do it. There are people out there that just take the barometer, just take the temperature of what is going on in the realm of the Spirit for you or for a church or for a group of people. And they speak to that. They speak from that. And they draw their own conclusions. I don't fault Paul for not listening to these folks. He has, he has no basis with them. There's no foundation there. They just, they just met. If, if God was going to use them in this way, certainly there would have been some kind of a foundation. Because Paul has already turned down listening to people who already had a relationship with him. And he didn't listen to that. How is he going to listen to these folks that just met him? And he's not very likely. Paul does not come to conclusions quickly. He listens to the Spirit, 
And uh, until, you know, we get to heaven and God says, Paul missed it, I'm going to decide on the fact that uh, Paul probably didn't miss it. He's probably doing what God is telling him to do. Uh, he, there is certainly room, and certainly Paul could have missed it. And certainly when you look at what happened in Jerusalem, you might come to the conclusion that, hey, he did miss it. Not much happened there. But he did get in front of some leaders that he might not otherwise have gotten in front of. And not every Christian in that day and age could have gotten in front of those leaders. And he had some impact on them. So anyway, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, the Word of God tells us to test the spirits. Is it from the Holy Spirit? So the first thing, when we pick up something in the spirit realm, we need to find out, is it the Holy Spirit? Because it could be a false spirit. And we saw that in the Old Testament. Remember the um, Micaiah? And he comes on out and he has that word, I saw in heaven. And this spirit said this and this spirit said that. But one spirit came up and said, I will be a, a lying, uh, lying uh, spirit. In a lying mouth or in, or in their mouth. And, uh, and he said, yeah, you'll succeed. Go ahead and do that. And then he went on down there. And, and uh, of course, the prophets who were speaking by this lying spirit weren't very happy at that. And they came up and slapped Micaiah. He didn't think that was such a good thing. Of course, we uh, like his uh, phraseology. Which way did the spirit go when he left me and went to you? <laughs> and Micaiah's language, you'll see on the day that your word doesn't come true. And... Uh, Sure enough, that, uh, that's what happened. But you've got to test the spirits. Because just because you hear something in the spirit realm does not mean you heard from God. So it's important that first off, we discern the right spirit. Secondly, that we discern between our flesh and the spirit. Because there are many Christians who cannot tell the difference between one or the other. And then you, the, the harder one is to differentiate between the soul and the spirit. The Word of God says that's a hard one. It takes the Word of God to make that division. Because your soul is where... What is in your soul? Your emotions, your feelings. And when your feelings and your emotions get involved, it's real hard for you to not feel that that's not the Spirit of God. And you can get into a wrong direction. You can get into a wrong place. Don't do it. Don't do it. I gave you that story on Sunday that, uh, you know, it's, it's stirred up my emotions. It's stirred up my feelings. And it's tough when you're in that place to know what the Spirit of God is saying than what your own soul is saying. And you've got to get back to the Word of God and, and hold on to that. So through the Spirit, a term many used, but we need to find out. Yeah, test the spirits. Is it genuine? Uh, what is the message? If it's genuine... What is the message? If it's genuine, what, what is the, if, it's, if it is truly the Spirit, what is the message? Because sometimes we mess, mess up the interpretation in the message. I've got to find out what is the message. What is God saying? Not how I interpret what God is saying. Not how I rephrased what God is saying. I've got to go back to what did God say? Because if I'm going to say, thus says the Lord, what should I say? What the Lord thus said. <laughs> and not what I, I can't change it. Don't alter it. Say what God said. Say it the way God said it. Don't try and improve it. Sometimes we hear what God says. Well, God, that's good, but I think I can make this. I think I can make it rhyme. You know, something like that. No, don't do that. If God said it a certain way, he did it the best way possible. Say it that way. If thus saith the Lord, thus then say thus the Lord what he said and, and do it that way. Don't mess up the message. So once we get the message, what does it mean? What does it mean? Uh, sometimes I'm supposed to know what it means. Sometimes I am not. How many have ever heard a minister of the gospel get up and he or she, they say to somebody, I have a message for you from God. Thus saith the Lord. And they'll say it, and they say, I don't know what that means, but I'm supposing that you do. And that's fine. If you are only supposed to deliver the message, then deliver the message. You're not always supposed to deliver the interpretation. Sometimes you just deliver the message. And just know that. Father God, am I supposed to? No. It's not for you to know. You just say it. Okay? <laughs> I don't need to know. If I don't need to know, I don't ask them either. 
I don't go out to him afterwards and say, well, what did that mean? No, it's, if, if God didn't tell me, you don't need to tell me either. That's just for you. So I don't even ask him. And that's, that's me. If, if I get a message without the interpretation, I just deliver the message. I don't mess with the rest of it. Here you go. You do with it what you want to. This is just what God was giving me. So there's the, there's the testing of the Spirit. There is the right message. And then there is its meaning. I'll put in your outline, we must seek the proper interpretation of what we hear in the Spirit. Our flesh is not able to. Do not try and hear what the Spirit says with your flesh. You've got to hear it with your spirit. It's got to be a revelation. It's got to be something that comes and is revealed to you the same way that the Word was. Don't try and flesh it out. Don't try and figure it out. Let God give you that, that meaning. Sometimes we are only to communicate the message, not the meaning. We already told you. Didn't fill that in, though. Sometimes we are only to communicate the message, not the meaning. Now, when we, when we proclaim what we pick up on in the Spirit, it is our words describing what we see coming. If I pick up a message and I see something, there are times I see it, but I'm using my words to describe it. Make sure you identify it as such. Don't say, that, thus saith the Lord. Just say, I, I see this in the Spirit. I'm going to try and describe it to you. If it's not God's words, don't identify it. If God just gave you the revelation, but it's your words and you speak your but let them know. I'm not sure this. I'm telling you what I see and I'm trying to describe what I see and you're trying to best to describe it. But that way, those words are not what people lock on to. So we summarize it this way. So before we proclaim what we pick up on or hear in the spirit, confirm the source, the message and the meaning. Confirm the source, the message and the meaning. Christians would do well if they, if they did this. Too often, Christians do not check the source and get themselves into trouble, especially when they make life-altering decisions based on something they don't know where the source came from. How do you find out whether it's a source? Well, the Word of God tells us to test the spirits. There are ways to test the spirit. We've covered ways on, on this before. But you can tell the, the, the um, uh the spirit of the spirit, so to speak. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of joy. It's a spirit of peace. There's a certain temperament that's there. Yes, there's a spirit. In that spirit, he gets angry at things that are done in unrighteousness. There's an anger that can, can come up there. But all these things are described in the word of God. If you get to know the spirit of God, if you get to know God, if you get to know Jesus, all three of them, they're all the same. If you get to know them through the word of God, then when something comes from them, you can tell, you know what? That's just not, no, that's not something like, my God doesn't say stuff like that. My God does not say things to me that cause fear. My God does not say things to, to me that cause division. My God does not say things to me that cause me to disbelieve his word. My God does not say things to me that causes me to, to not believe the best in someone. Because uh, how many times have you heard people get something in the spirit? I think so-and-so is in sin. <laughs> yeah, like God's going to share that with you. I can tell right away because if you speak to somebody else beside them, I already know God would never tell you. Don't even have to go any further with it. So just uh, test the spirits. Find out what's going on. Know the source. Confirm the source, the message, and the meaning. If all you have is the message, then do not try and mess with the meaning. Just let them know this is the message. You have to figure this out. God is going to give this to you. If you don't know it now, you will know it, whatever it might be. But if you uh, also are supposed to get the meaning, then spend some time with it. It may not come to you right away. Remember the uh, uh, Peter's up on the roof, and he gets the vision from God. And then he's trying to discern the meaning of it. Obviously, the meaning was not about food. Otherwise, that was obvious. He says, while I was up there you know, discerning the meaning, trying to understand the meaning, pondering the, the vision, he's trying to get the, uh, the meaning of the whole thing. So these were some they just picked up in the realm of the spirit, which way they did, what they were operating in, that doesn't exactly say. But these are things that we can pick up on. Just simply getting the gift of the spirit of, of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is, would be described like these folks are, are doing. They just pick up on something. You could just be there in a... In a Meeting with somebody, and all of a sudden on the inside of you, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge can come up. Word of wisdom is for future. Word of knowledge is for past or present. 
Verse 5, when we had come to the end of those, of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship. Who's boarding the ship? Paul, Luke, and all the rest of the party. We know Luke is with the group. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Remember, we followed Philip before. He's now the Philip the evangelist. He was one of the seven original deacons, and they stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Now, understand, he's not just saying we have four virgin daughters who operate in prophecy. He's saying he has four virgin daughters who prophesied. In the context of what happened in the chapter before, in the four verses that went on before this, and in the verse that comes, what do you think they prophesied? About Paul going to Jerusalem. <laughs> More about, don't go. <laughs> There's going, to be, there's going to be stuff going on. Now, the, the other folks, they, interpret, they get picked up in the spirit, but they interpreted the meaning as don't go to Jerusalem. That's not necessarily the meaning that was there because all that Paul has been getting is that chains and imprisonments await. They took that as meaning he should not go. But Paul does not take that just because chains and imprisonment waits does not mean I shouldn't go because most every place I've gone, chains and imprisonments have been there. It's, don't, don't tell me I'm not supposed to go. God, God told me to go into Philippi. You know what happened? Chains and imprisonments when he went to Philippi. But still good things came out of it. So he, he comes into Philip's house. He has four virgin daughters. Do not take... The fact that because they are virgin daughters, that's why they can be used. That's not uh, the meaning there at all. It just happens to be that was the status there. Whether they had uh, decided to stay that way and to just serve the Lord, or if they uh, just were too young, we don't know. But anyway, they, they had prophecies, and they were for Paul. So we would assume the prophecies are for, for him. We go on here in verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus, came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet, his hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Well, we got some general prophecies, and the words are not exactly put into the word, but now we got this one, and it's specifically there. Now, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're not going to get this far in the story. But when Paul does get to Jerusalem, and he does, he remember, he goes through the uh, little uh, um, vow that somebody has. And before he ever gets to say a word, everybody gets upset, big riot ensues, and they start beating on Paul. And so what happens after that is the, uh, the people who, the Romans that are running the city, they see this, and they see everybody beating on Paul. So they come into the crowd, and the crowd stops beating when they see them come in. And they take Paul, and they arrest him, and they pull him back more for his protection. They don't know what's going on. They don't have any basis to arrest him, but they want to arrest him. They put him in chains simply because we're trying to, we don't know what's going on. They're beating this guy. We need to pull him out of here and find out what's going on. We can't just have somebody be beat up. So now look at the, look at the word. Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem Bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That does not happen. It does not happen. The Jews do not bind him, nor do the Jews deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The Gentiles come and deliver him from the Jews. And it is the Gentiles who bind him. So Agabus comes down from Jerusalem, from Judea, to Caesarea. He comes down for, he has a message. God put him on a mission, apparently. And along the way, thus says the Lord. Now, if it's thus says the Lord, and the word is wrong, then what happened? 
Well, either Agabus is on a wrong mission or he messed up the word. He may have he may have jumped to some conclusions. He saw chains and imprisonments and he thought it would be the Jews. Well, most times that Paul has faced uh, imprisonments, it started with the Jews. But this is going to be one time it doesn't. It starts with the Gentiles. The Jews just start beating on them. If they had their way, they just beat them to a pulp and kill them. That's all they wanted to do. They didn't want to arrest them. They didn't want to. They're ready to, to destroy him right there. So here, here's the word again. Thus says the Holy Spirit. He's given a verbatim. He's not saying, this is what I heard. This is what I saw. This is uh, what I sense. He's not doing any of that. He says, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He gave a false word. Paul does not listen to it. Is Paul wrong? Well, again, the word does not ever, there's nothing in that word about don't go. It's once again confirming what he already knows in that change and imprisonment await. Paul has no reason in the natural to suspect what he is saying is inaccurate. He knows that chains and imprisonments await him. He doesn't know who they come from, but he knows that they await him. And Agabus is just pinpointing it's going to come from the Jews. He has no reason to doubt that. Jews have done this to him before. And the Jews pretty much run Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem has gone successively downhill. James, while it was under James' care, had, it had gone into an area of legalism. And we saw some of the things with that. When James dies, it gets even worse. And it becomes a very legalistic church. So Paul probably very much believes this, that they could be the, the ones. But he feels like he needs to get to Jerusalem that if he can speak to them, he can get this church out of its legalistic tendencies and pull it back into the area of grace. Now, he's been to Jerusalem before, and most of those trips have gone, except for the first one when he first got saved, most of his other trips had gone pretty well. Nothing earth-shattering about it, but you know, nobody beat him up and tried to kill him. And at least that part was good. So as we said, it seems like Agabus is on a mission. And how accurate is his message? Uh, it seems to be not very accurate. If we go jumping ahead to the, to the things that were going on. I also put this in your outline. It seems to be a message of what will happen, not what Paul should do. Apparently, God will sometimes send us a message of what will happen, not necessarily what we should do. Sometimes we've got to figure that out on our own. Wouldn't we just like it if God just told us all the time what to do? All right, when they say this, say yes. When they do this, say no. It would be a whole lot easier if he just tells us what to do. But sometimes he just tells us what's going to happen. Now, sometimes he does tell us what to do. There were times that uh, Paul, uh, he was told, you know, so-and-so is going to come, go with them. He told them what to do. There, There are times that God will say what to do. But a lot of times he just tells us what happens. What's going to happen? The prophets who came in the Old Testament. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. One was good. One was bad. And they, they chose. Well, they chose not to believe the word of the prophet. And they went ahead and did what they wanted to do anyway. Most people will find a way to obey their flesh. And call it the Spirit of God. Most people will do it. It's a shame. It's why their life in their, their Christian walk has no stability. It's why they have no staying power, because they just listen to their flesh. We've got to rise up over that. Sometimes you've got to take authority over your flesh. Because how many of y'all know, people, especially people in the body of Christ, they can aggravate your flesh. They can get you going. People at home, people that are, you know, have your same last name. <laughs> they can aggravate your flesh. And you can make decisions that you want to do. That's not, that's not necessarily what you want to do. How many times have you heard husbands and wives? Well, she said, yeah, well, he said. And they made me mad. And I'm, I'm not staying there anymore. Is that what God's leading you to do? Then we just, we just flesh out. And we get all worked up. And then our emotions are involved. 
And then even if someone were to come to you and, you know, try and speak the word of God to, the, to them, what do they say? No, 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 God would not have me live in this situation. God would not. It's, what? <laughs> you had nothing to contribute to that? You didn't do anything that, that spurred that on? But see, we don't like to point the finger at ourselves. Who do we like to point the finger at? We've been going on over the Sunday, Sunday morning series. People who are in false humility always point the finger at themselves. People who are in pride point the finger at others. People who are right down the middle in that humble walk with God know when other people are at fault, but generally look, what can I change? That's a mature person. And that's what we need to, to walk in. What can I change? I can't control what you can change. I can control what I can change. What can I change? What can I do? So, all the while, all these things, Paul never points the finger at any of these people bringing prophecies, bringing words. He never points the finger at any of them and says, you all are false. You all are no good. You all are, what are you doing? He doesn't ever do that. He always points the finger at himself. Hey, I'm going to do what I know to do. I appreciate you bringing that. I appreciate you bringing that warning. That's great. You brought the warning. Uh, and I've, other people have confirmed that warning. I've heard that from other people. I know what's going on. But let me tell you this. That doesn't deter me. <laughs> I am okay with this. I'll go right on in, in prison. In prison, He said, hey, I'm ready to die. Well, if you're ready to die, there isn't too much else you can do. He's ready to, to die for his, for his Savior. So he's ready to go on. Well, we said prophecy can come from a believer and also from one who stands in the office of a prophet. You've heard that before. That'll be a prophecy. It may or may not contain a word of knowledge, which is something past or present, or a word of wisdom. Sometimes a prophecy will contain one or both of those aspects. It then becomes a combination. It is a word of prophecy with a word of wisdom. Or a word of prophecy with a word of knowledge. That does go on. More so with someone who stands in the office of a prophet. Or one who operates in several gifts of the spirit. Not generally a novice. Novices have to be careful not to try and step in. Well I saw so and so and they gave a a, uh, prophecy that predicted the future. They gave a prophecy that talked about the past. Don't you imitate them. You do what God says. You, you, you be real careful. Be real, real careful. You're not trying to make you the center. You want to make God the center. You do not need to become the spectacle. Most times that Jesus operated in the gifts of the Spirit, he kept it under the radar. He didn't let out that God was showing him anything. How many times did the Word of God come say to us, when Jesus perceived in his Spirit... When Jesus knew that they thought this, that comes, that's a spiritual gift in operation there because no one revealed it to him. He doesn't stand up and says, thus says the Lord. God has exposed you or anything like that. He just simply speaks to it. And that's what we need to imitate. He, he is the one we want to imitate. No one else. Well, the purpose of prophecy is found in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That is prophecy. Anything else other than that is mixing another gift in. Simple prophecy is simply this. It's going to speak edification. It's going to speak exhortation. And it's going to speak comfort. It's not going to speak fear. It's not going to speak uh, regret. it's, It's not there to do that. It's there to speak Edification, exhortation, and comfort. And that's it. If there is something about the past or there is something about the future that is one of the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and make sure that the person who is giving it is set to flow in that way. Otherwise, don't receive it. Just just shut that down. If they're a novice, is God going to take a novice and move them into the gifts of the Spirit? As Paul says, desire the greater gifts. Those are some of the greater gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge are some of the greater gifts. The gift of faith, gift of miracles, they're some of the greater gifts. So he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. 
Some of these things that are spoken to Paul, they might be an exhortation. They might be a comfort. Paul, this is what's going. When you get there and this happens, I don't want you to be thrown. That could be comforting. Well, God told me this was coming. I know I didn't mess up on this. God told me that it was coming. Well, in verse 12, now when we heard these things, this is an amazing verse to me. Who is the we? Everybody is there. But now look how this is divided. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. He is putting this into two different groups so that you don't get it confused. He is saying, we, the folks that follow after Paul and the people who lived there. There's that group and there's our group. He says, when we heard these things, both we, Luke, and all those with them, and those from the place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. All right, something is different about this. Because Luke has heard all these things that have gone on before. He's written about them. He has been here for all the things that have gone on. He was there for the prophecy in Philip's house. He was here for the word that the other folks spoke. He was there for the word at Miletus. He was there for all the ones that Paul referred to before that. He was there. He heard all these things. But somehow, this word by Agabus has caused him and those that are with him that travel with Paul all this time to... Paul, we need to rethink this thing. We've been going with you. We've been following you. We've heard all these words. We've heard all this stuff that is going on before. But we need to rethink this. We, we probably shouldn't be going. We, I heard what Agabus said. And we, we probably shouldn't be going. But Agabus got it wrong. Agabus got it wrong. And Luke, is Luke a, a novice at this? He is not a novice. Luke does not pick up that Agabus speaks something false. I mean, he, he's on to something, but the details are wrong. It's not a thus says the Lord. He may have heard something from God. He may have put his own interpretation on it. Whatever it might be, it is not right. If God would have spoke it, he would not have said it this way. If God would have spoken, he would have said the Gentiles are going to arrest you. But that's not what, what was said. Because God is not inaccurate. God's words are very accurate. And Agabus is not. So it throws his whole group off. And it throws the people he just met. This is why you've got to be careful of, of uh, prophecies and of words. Because they can throw people. It's one thing for Paul to have to deal with a group of people that he just met. It's another thing to have to deal with your traveling companions that are there to encourage you and keep you going. Isn't it? How Paul's standing by himself. All the people that are around him, every single one of them is saying, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Don't go. We don't want you to go. We shouldn't go. Let's not go. <laughs> Look at what it says there. When we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Pleaded. Didn't just ask. Didn't just said, you know, you think we ought to do it? They didn't just check with him. They pleaded, don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? <laughs> How many Christians want to get you to respond on a soulish level? They want to pull you into the feelings. They want to pull you into the emotion of it. He says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am, not, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Can't argue with that. So, when we would not, when he would not be persuaded, I'll tell you what, more Christians ought to not be persuaded. Again, I'm not trying to tell you that Paul missed it or did not miss it. I don't know, and I don't think any of us are in a position to say Paul was a pretty spiritually mature person. He's, he has a great track record of hearing and listening from God. I'd say we go with him. If he feels it, if Paul is the only one and everyone else thought that, I'd still side with Paul. 
He just has a, he's got a good track record. If we get to heaven and God says, no, I was trying to get him to not go. <laughs> well, then that's fine. Well, I'll just fill out your blank there. But Luke and those in the group, we, that were not from that place, already heard such things. Luke and those in the group, we, they already, they already heard these things. Also put in your outline, we can be moved by feelings. We can be moved by feelings. There's one case comes to mind in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 12. And Saul says, Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He felt compelled because the people were leaving, because the Philistines were gathering, and because he had not made the sacrifice, and he felt like the prophet of God was late. Hmm. He felt compelled. Many Christians do things feeling compelled by their feelings because people around them have tugged at them, because situations have tugged at them, because uh, things happen good or bad and have tugged at them. And they make decisions based that way. We are not to make decisions moved by feelings. And it's about time Christians grow up and quit it. When you're young... You make decisions based on feelings. When you got an infant and that feeling that that baby feels hungry, what's that baby do? Cries. When that baby gets to be eighteen, and that baby's feeling hungry at eighteen, and it cries, what do you say? Child, get your own dinner. Get your own breakfast. You got two legs, get up. You you expect something out of them, right? If they come to you at 18 and say, I need money, what do you say? <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> Go out there and work for it. That's what I got to do. We, we, we do think. As Christians, folks, we need to mature. We need to grow. We need to stop being moved by feelings. We need to stop being moved by our soul. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder soul and spirit. The Word of God is able to do it. But see, we're not meditating on the Word of God. We're meditating on what things have happened, what people have done, what people have said, what I feel. We use these for direction. We should not do it. Don't go after it. So first off, we can be moved by feelings. That is not a good place to be. Don't be moved by your feelings. Be moved by your spirit. Be moved by your spirit. We can be moved by purpose. That's the second thing. We can be moved by purpose. Sometimes we are not moved by feelings. We may feel tired. How many times have you woke up in the morning and you feel tired? But you get up and you get dressed and you go to work. Why? Because of purpose. I need to, I have purposed myself to go to work in the morning because I need, I need money. <laughs> so I purpose myself. To, I don't feel like going to work. I feel like staying in bed. But I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do what I need to do because purpose. When Paul left on his first missionary journey, why did he go? Did he feel like going? He may have felt like going. He may not have felt like going. But they had just had that meeting, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And then they separated them. And then they went out. And they, they went to the first place, and they went to the second place, and they went to the third place, and they went to the fourth place, and they, they kept on going. Why? Because that's the purpose. That's why we're here. We're here to teach the gospel, to spread the gospel to the places they don't have it yet. And so with that purpose, they went out. And sometimes we are moved in a direction by purpose. Paul, it said, purposed in his heart to be at Jerusalem. It said the same thing of Jesus. Jesus purposed in his, in his heart. He set his sights for, for Jerusalem. And when he came through Samaria, they didn't, they didn't accept him because he had set his sights for Jerusalem. They were mad at that. Well, he did that and he's, uh, he moved by purpose. Sometimes we're moved by purpose. Sometimes we're, we are moved by... Um, just lost my, uh, my sheet there, but it all went away. But I can, I can still give it to you. Uh, sometimes we're, we're moved by a leading. And remember when Paul was on that second missionary journey, he's with Silas, 
and they, they ventured out. And they were, after they had gone through and they visited all the places, they were moving up into the area of Asia. And the word of God says, the spirit of God said, don't go into Asia. Don't preach the gospel. So they walked through Asia, but they didn't go. And then Bithynia, don't, don't, go, into, don't go into there. They would have, but don't go into there and preach. And so they were walking. On, we saw on the map how far they had traveled through the area of Asia, but no preaching. They weren't, they weren't doing anything with that. Why? Because the Spirit of God hadn't led them to do so. And so then they, they're seeking after God. And in a night vision, Paul saw the man over in Macedonia. Come. Come to us. And so he did. He went over to him. He went to, the, to, the, to where they were at, started off at Philippi. And that didn't seem to go so well. But why was he there? He's on the missionary journey because of purpose. But he's in Philippi because of a leading. He does not go into Asia because of a leading. So sometimes we are moved by purpose. Sometimes we are moved by a leading. But we're not, never supposed to be moved by feelings. There is a purpose that you have. There's, there's a number of purposes we have that are just general. Some of the general ones are be, go into the world and be a witness. Do I need a leading from God to be a witness? No. I'm called to be a witness. And so I'll do like Paul. I'll follow after that purpose unless the Spirit of God leads me. Don't do that right here. Or the Spirit of God may lead me to take that purpose into a particular place, into a particular group of people, whatever it might be. What is, the, uh, what is the purpose that God has for you? There are some general purposes the Word of God has given you. There are some specific purposes for your ministry, for what you do. If you find a sick person over at, uh, where you live or where you, uh, where you interact, what should you, what should you do? We have a purpose. Lay hands on the sick. Lay hands on the sick. That's our purpose. That's what we should do. Sometimes I get a particular leading to do something unique in that. And we follow after that. So there's leading and there's purpose. But there's no place for feelings. We need to learn how to differentiate ourselves or to distance ourselves from our feelings and make decisions based upon purpose and leading. And that's growth. That's just spiritual growth. As we're talking to you about on, on Sunday morning, sometimes, and I, this is true for me, I was, ready to, I was ready to go and to do something simply because of my feelings. And I was wrong. That's the wrong way to be moved by God. You can't do that. No, you've got you to go because of purpose. You've got to go because of leading. But too many times people will say, well, I feel that the Lord led me, and all it was was their feelings. Why did you guys get divorced? Well, I felt like the Lord was leading me in a different direction. No, you purposed already to be married. That's what you do. Be the same thing as, you know, parent. Well, you know, I felt led to not be their parent anymore. <laughs> they were kind of rambunctious and uh, we weren't getting along real well, so I decided I wouldn't be their parent anymore. And no, what's your purpose? Your purpose is you're the parent. Whether your feelings always line up with that, it doesn't make any difference. Your purpose when you wake up in the morning or whatever it is that you go to work, that's your purpose. Your feelings need to be put aside. We need to differentiate. We are not going to grow if we don't learn to do that. Paul, feel what Paul was going through. Everyone around him, the people that were close to him, the people that he just met, all of them are trying to convince Paul, don't go. Every single one of them. And Paul stood up. How, hard, how mature do you have to be as a believer? To stand up to everyone. And the people that are on Paul's team are no slouches. He gets good people around him. And if they were so-so people when they started, they're good people by the time they get done. He, Paul really puts into those folks. And they are Luke. Brother Luke. He even writes it in. We're all trying to convince them. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. And weeping and crying. I don't know how much weeping people were doing that just met him. I think the weeping was coming more from the people on his team. Paul don't go. 
Don't go. But he stood up to him and says, hey, what's with all the weeping? What's with all the appeal to my feelings? No. If, if, if I die for him, I'm fine. You should be too. Now let's go. Why? He has a purpose. Purpose and leading. That's what should move us. Never feelings. Never feelings. Devil gets us messed up because he gets us into a place. He messes with our feelings. He messes with our emotions. He gets us sad. He gets us happy. He gets us mad. He gets us angry. He gets us frustrated. It's all these things. And we make decisions based on our feelings. Paul made decisions based on purpose, based on leading. And that's where we need to be. My outline will not open back up again. Did I cover everything on your, on your part there? Good. All right. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. It's so difficult to not be led by feelings. The people that are all around us, so many are led by feelings. What we feel today is different from what we feel tomorrow. But we can't be led by feelings. We need to be led by what your spirit says. We need your word to enter into our heart and able to divide between soul and spirit. Father, that's a hard, hard thing for us sometimes because what we feel so much seems to be what God would feel. And that's just not right. Sometimes our feelings are very different from what God feels. And we need to discern the difference between the two of those things. As Paul continues to go on, we don't know if he missed it. We don't know if he was right on the money with what he should do. But you know. But Father, you put these things in, for, in here for us to see. You lead us and you guide us. You direct us. Some decisions you leave up to us. Sometimes you say, this is what I want you to do. But whatever it is, your word needs to be our lamppost and the thing that guides and directs us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.